It is Thursday, May 23rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And it has been a couple of weeks since we did this, Jared, because we have been busy finishing up the projections for 2019, testing everything out, going live with the 2019 content and MVP board on DraftSharks.com. It's fun to really get things going again. Yeah, we did our, the old uh, projections party. It was a pretty... Uh, chill projections party, I guess. There weren't there weren't a ton of disagreements. It seems like the longer we do this, um, the closer we're getting as far as our initial projections. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think you know we're sort of rubbing off on each other in, in a good way, um, which is which is nice. Let's hope. Maybe I'm. I hope I'm not bringing you down to my level. <laughs> I, I will see how it goes as 2019 plays out. You can find all the offensive kicker team D rankings on DraftSharks.com right now. I'm still wrapping up the IDP side, but that'll be ready um, within the next few days. You can start creating your MVP boards. You can use them in your best ball drafting. Just get a jump on 2019 planning in general. We're already putting those into use in our own drafts. Um, Jared has a recap article of a snake draft he did for the Fantasy Index magazine up on DraftSharks.com right now. So you can go read that, um, see how his team turned out. I did my annual auction draft for the same publication just this past Tuesday. I'm going to recap that on DraftSharks.com at some point, probably next week, um, but we'll see exactly what time allows. Today, though, we are kicking off a new series on the podcast that we're going to try to take you behind our projections process a little bit. Um, We talk a lot on the show uh, about who we like and who we don't, obviously, because that's kind of the main point here. We, We zero in on overvalued, undervalued players and drafts. That's going to come into play in this series too, but Jared and I are going to spend the next eight weeks going through a lot of the things that we found as we did our projections, Um, not giving away much on the individual player projection front. We're not going to come on here and say, okay, this running back is 23rd in our rankings with this specific projection, but we're going to talk about stuff like run pass splits. We're going to talk coaching trends. We'll talk about individual player insights that we came across as we went through the process, did our projections, got the guys um, where they are on DraftSharks.com. And, you know, some of the things that are going to continue to shape our opinions as they evolve through the summer and heading up to the season. Going to start today with the AFC East, where really, Jared, the Buffalo Bills haven't made big coaching changes. They have a lot of changes elsewhere, though, on the roster this year. On the coaching side, we're going to start there with every team. Like I said, nothing big. Same OC in place. Um, They do have a new quarterbacks coach in Ken Dorsey, who spent five years as the Panthers quarterbacks coach from 2013 to 2017. They have a new offensive line coach in Bobby Johnson. It's his first time as the lead offensive line coach in the NFL. He was an assistant in Indianapolis last season. So that seems like the right place to come from. Unfortunately, can't bring the O-line talent that the Colts have to the Bills. But, uh, you know, We'll see if that if it that ends up helping. Lots changing on the Buffalo offensive line. Why don't you tell us a bit about Brian Dabble, the the coordinator who's been there for two years now? Yeah, and just a quick note on Ken Dorsey. I think it's interesting that he obviously worked with Cam Newton and Carolina. And I think you know to, at his at his highest highest range of outcomes, maybe the Bills think that Josh Allen can be a Cam Newton like player. You know, Newton struggled with accuracy. At, you know, throughout most of his career, that's been Josh Allen's problem. Both guys obviously can run a bit too, so that's interesting. But yeah, like you said, Brian Dable back for a second year with the team. Um, last year's Bills were the fourth run heaviest offense in the NFL. 
at least some of that had to do with the fact that Josh Allen ran it 89 times. That was fourth most among quarterbacks. 47 of those were scrambles. That was second most among quarterbacks behind only Deshaun Watson. So they actually called pass a bit more than those numbers, which suggests it's just Allen ended up running. But Dable obviously prefers run heavy offenses. Um, his units have ranked top six in rushing attempts and top 11 in rushing yards in four of his five seasons as an offensive coordinator. That all all five of those teams have ranked bottom five in pass attempts and bottom 10 in pass yards. So th- that's obviously where he wants to lean as a play caller. Mm-hmm. And you might hear slight variations between um, Jared's and my numbers on stuff like uh, run heaviness, run percentages. Um, I know that we do our math a little bit different. I uh, include sacks in my passing numbers, but don't be confused if you hear slight differences in our numbers on those fronts. Even with all of those Josh Allen runs last year, it was actually the Bills were actually a little bit less run heavy last season than they were in any of the previous three seasons. And, you know, I would have to assume that a few more of those Josh Allen runs stay as passes this time around. I have the Bills for 46% run in my projections that, you know, they have the first round quarterback that they drafted last year. You would think that Josh Allen will be a little bit comfier and a little bit more ready to throw the ball this year. They also threw a bunch of money at John Brown and Cole Beasley in free agency. At the same time, Buffalo added Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, spent a third-round pick on Devin Singletary. So I I don't think that they're going to suddenly go pass-heavy. I think we're going to see plenty of running still, but it will be interesting to see if the, the, the split leans further toward the pass at all this season. Yep, I'm right with you. I have their run rate dropping a bit, but I still have them as the sixth run heaviest offense in the NFL. I don't think they want Josh Allen chucking it 60 or uh, 600 times this season. On to QB notes, Josh Allen, of course, did most of his scoring, not most of his scoring, a large chunk of his scoring last year on the ground. 46.1% of his fantasy points came on via his rushing numbers. Only three of fantasy's top 50 QB scorers were ahead of him in that category. Taysom Hill, who is obviously a glorified um, scat back for the Saints, Lamar Jackson, and Nathan Peterman, who basically took points away from himself every time he threw the ball. So maybe he should be a running back. Um, So it's basically Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen um, among running quarterbacks. Seven of Josh Allen's eight rushing touchdowns, though, came inside the red zone, including four from inside the 10-yard line. I think that's an area where he can continue to deliver value um, and that can help him uh, versus other fantasy quarterbacks. I do think the the yardage for him is going to come way down, though. Um, Allen had four games of 90 or more rushing yards last season. Since 1970, there have only been 50 such quarterback games. So that's a span of what, 49 years. Um, Cam Newton, for comparison's sake, has four such games for his entire career to this point. Yeah, I agree with you on the rushing yardage likely coming down. I do think the rushing volume could, you know, be pretty steady for Allen this coming season. But I think the yards per carry is coming down. He averaged 7.09 yards per carry. That ranks 14th among 287 seasons of 50 plus carries by a quarterback in NFL history. Um, I, I looked at quarterbacks who have carried 50 plus times over the last 10 seasons. That group has averaged 5.3 yards per carry, even six 
0.0 yards per carry is above the 80th percentile in that group. So I, I think, again, that the yards per carry is going to regress. Um, we have Allen projected for 5.5 yards per carry this season, which would still be on the higher end, but you know, a, a lot closer to the average than his 7.09 mark last year. Yeah, I think the rushing production carried over from college, the ability is going to be there. It's always going to help him in fantasy. But I think the mistake will come if you look at his huge Russian production last year and say, well, I'm not dropping him below like QB 15 if he's going to run like that because right. it's going to be tough for him to run repeatedly like that. Yeah, and you know, it, as a passer, tough to be encouraged by anything we saw from Allen last season. Um, among 30 quarterbacks with 300-plus attempts last year, he finished dead last in completion rate, 29th in yards per attempt, 28th in touchdown rate. 30th in interception rate. He was dead last in pro football focuses adjusted completion rate. And that of course just carried over from his inaccuracy throughout college. So, you know, despite Buffalo adding some weapons, I think Allen is still going to be at least erratic as a passer throughout this coming season. Yeah. 10 years ago, we could say, Oh, the running stuff makes him a potential QB one, like a a top 12 um, fantasy producer. But at this point, there are just so many guys and even a fair number of them that can run and also pass that it's just not enough to really like Josh Allen in fantasy heading into this year. Yep. At running back, uh, LaShawn McCoy is back as, you know, we assume the lead back. Well, I think we'll have to see how this plays out though into the summer, through the summer. LaShawn McCoy's carries per game last year dropped by 6.4. And that's a large drop in carries per game. That was his that marked his fewest since his rookie season in the league. He posted a career low in yards per carry for the second straight season. So clearly looks like a player in decline. Yeah, and I mean, some of the more advanced metrics don't look pretty for McCoy either. He was 41st among 47 qualifying running backs in Pro Football Focus's elusive rating, which sort of measures what a guy does beyond the blocking he he gets. Um, He was also 41st in Pro Football Focus's rushing grade, and you know he, he turns 31 in July, so he definitely looks like a guy who's just pretty much out of gas at this point. And making a fair bit of money, I was surprised that Buffalo ended up keeping him around. I mean, I, I guess it's nice from a, the standpoint of it's good to see a team go ahead and pay a player, even if maybe he's not worth next year's salary anymore. But uh, I, I was surprised. Yeah, me too. Frank Gore, meanwhile, arrives coming off 4.6 yards per carry last year with the Dolphins. That was his highest mark since 2012 when he was with the Niners. It was the fifth best mark of his career. And it really wasn't inflated by a single long run, as we can see happen with some players. His long run for Gore last year, 39 yards. Even if you take that out, he was still at 4.4 per carry. That did, however, follow three straight years of less than 4.0 yards per carry with the Colts. And moving to Buffalo, you know, we'll see what happens with the O-line. And it's not like he's coming from running behind a great Miami offensive line or anything. But I, I would I would expect some regression on his yards per carry. Yeah, so would I. But he was, you know, we talk about McCoy struggling in those advanced metrics. Frank Gore ranked 13th out of 47 running backs in elusive rating. Also 13th in PFF's rushing grade. So you know, sort of whatever you look at, Frank Gore, despite the fact that he just turned 36 years old, which is crazy for him to even be in the league running back at 36 years old but pretty much anything you look at gore was a better runner than LaShawn mccoy last season yeah and frank gore at the very beginning of best ball draft season i liked grabbing him late in drafts because he was there to the very end of the draft and as we just said outperformed LaShawn mccoy in pretty much every way last season um but then the bills added tj yeldon and then they drafted devin singletary with yeldon 
TJ Yeldon, in his four seasons in the NFL so far, he is eighth among all running backs in targets. He is 11th in receptions. He is 15th in receiving yards. So that tells you he gets thrown the ball a lot. Not super productive because he ranks lower in receptions than he does in targets and lower in yards than he does in receptions. But you would think that Buffalo signed him to lead their backfield in receiving. Otherwise, I'm not sure exactly what the allure would be. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure what the Bills are doing with their backfield in general. Just with all these moves they made this offseason. But yeah, I mean, Yeldon, if he's going to provide anything, it should be in the passing game. He's really never looked above average as a ball carrier, averaging 4.0 yards per carry for his career. So, I mean, we're going to have to see how this whole backfield shakes out. But to me, it's just a mess right now. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, all these guys, all the additions that they made are on the cheap side. Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon not getting paid a whole lot of money. Um, Devin Singletary around three picks. So, you know, Gore came available and they said, all right, we'll bring him in. We don't trust LaShawn McCoy. Then Yeldon became available and they said, all right, we'll bring him in. Um, we'll let everybody battle it out and see what they're ready to do. Frank Gore has seen his receiving fall off since his days with the Niners. So I don't think that he's a, a good bet for much receiving production anymore. And then, you know, if you get into the draft and you like a guy, then you take him. Certainly not going to let um, Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon block that. Devin Singletary, we've talked about before, but real quick, productive runner in college. Did very well by the pro football focus metrics, second in missed tackles, force per attempt, third in elusive rating, 10th even in pass blocking efficiency. But then we got to the pre-draft testing and he did not look very good with at the center of that a 4.66 second 40 yard draft. And if we look back, the top historic performers in the NFL that we have seen in the backfield at that level Rex Burkhead, LeGarrette Blount, Monte Ball does not paint a rosy picture. Yeah, eighth percentile spark score for Singletary, so that was ugly. The Bills like this guy, though. I mean, like you said, they took him. They took him pretty early in the third round. Uh, made him the fifth running back off the board, ahead of Damian Harris, ahead of uh, Bryce Love. They, they even you know, a, a bunch of the teams did those. Um, like war room videos during the draft, which were cool to see. Um, and the Bills, you saw, they actually passed down a or passed up a trade down opportunity to, you know, take Devin Singletary. So he's a guy they didn't want to let get away. So they obviously like him. I think it's possible that, you know, at some point this season, he emerges as a lead back here. Yeah. I I was going to say the same thing. And, you know, it wouldn't even be surprising if by the time we get to the regular season, he's getting um, a larger chunk of the carries and other guys. There's no guarantee that all of these guys make it to the regular season on this roster. Yeah, and I'm not sure, um, you know, what the guaranteed money is like in in McCoy, Gore, and Yeldon's contracts. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of rare for a team to carry for a running back. So I do think one of these guys might be gone. If I'm drafting any Bills running back right now, it is Devin Singletary. But it's not till you know one of my last few picks. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to who we like or don't like here uh, in a minute. Um, first, the the pass catcher notes: wide receivers, tight ends. Um, Jared, what do we have available from um, versus last year? Yeah, 186 targets gone from last year. Um, Charles Clay, Calvin Benjamin, the two the two big ones. So that's 37% of Buffalo's targets. And l- like you've mentioned, they added John Brown. They added Cole Beasley. Um, they added tight end Tyler Croft. And they also added um, rookie tight end Dawson Knox in the third round of this year's draft. Robert Foster caught 13 more passes as a Bills rookie than he did in any of his four seasons at Alabama. He averaged 1.1 yard per catch more than Deshaun Jackson, who led the league among qualifying receivers in that category. Um, 
Robert Foster only beat Zay Jones in targets in once in any game all year, though. And that was back in week three where he saw two targets and Zay Jones saw one. So it was a low volume guy. And now they've added two players in free agency that they obviously like very much, judging by the contracts given to John Brown and Cole Beasley. I I could see the case for Robert Foster early in best ball drafting season. I, I just don't see it anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think John Brown has, you know, one of the starting outside spots locked up. Cole Beasley is going to be the slot guy. So I think it's Foster versus A. Jones for, you know, that other starting spot on the outside. Foster had an impressive season for, you know, an undrafted guy playing with Josh Allen. Um, Finished 22nd among 100 wide receivers with 40 plus targets in yards per route run, which is a pretty predictive metric from, from pro football focus. He also, you know, he seems to sort of fit with Josh Allen, just like John Brown. You know, they're both guys who do their best work downfield. Um, 43% of Robert Foster's targets last season came 20 plus yards downfield. That was the second highest percentage. So I think he's a good fit. Um, you know, he is a guy who, you know, I, th- I think from a talent perspective, I'm not really sure why he wouldn't have drafted. He seems like, you know, he's, he at least has good size, has good speed flash last season. So I- I'm sort of of the mind that Robert Foster is going to be that guy and not Zay Jones, but it's something we'll have to watch when training camp gets going. Um, Zay Jones, meanwhile, seven touchdowns last year on 56 catches. It gave him a 12.5% TD rate. Among the top 100 PPR receivers, he ranked 23rd in that category. So did well scoring touchdowns. But, you know, again, like you said, he's also more of a slot type of receiver. Um, Played there a fair amount last year. Played uh, also outside. And I think that he's probably competing with Robert Foster for one of the spots among the top three wideouts. And frankly, a number four receiver on this Buffalo team is not relevant. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure the third wide receiver is relevant, which you know, to, to me is Cole Beasley, but um, yeah, Zay Jones had the decent touchdown total last year. He also though, ranked 80th among those hundred wide receivers in yards per route run. So, you know, Robert Foster beat him pretty easily in efficiency. Mm-hmm. Tyler Croft at tight end has now broken his right foot twice in the past eight months. Uh, looking a lot like Greg Olson over the past year and a half. It seems like the injury return timeline should put Croft back either right at the start of the regular season or at some point in September. But, I mean, you start out with a player that you're not excited about anyway, and then you throw in a twice-broken foot. Uh, It's tough. The money says that he's going to be involved somehow, but it's tough to expect much from him. He'll come back to a crowded tight end situation at the moment. We'll see how that sorts out. They added Lee Smith recently in free agency. They drafted Dawson Knox. Um, the, the volume of players at this position makes all of them absolutely uninteresting to me in fantasy. Yep, totally agree. I mean, you figure Croft at best is going to be what the fourth or fifth option in what will likely be a you know b- bottom half of the league passing game, maybe a bottom you know eight passing game. So I'm not interested in any of these guys. Yeah. So we get now to the who I like section. And frankly, for me, it's absolutely nothing on the Buffalo (laughs) offense. There's there's just, there are too many players at wide receiver. There are too many players at tight end. There are too many players at running back. If it were a good offense, then I would pick out a guy or two that I'm willing to bet on and say, I'm going to take them and see how things sort out. But it's an offense that I expect to be one of the worst in the league. So I will let somebody else deal with it. I will always like John Brown no matter where the guy goes. So I'm going to be on John Brown. He, he's going, he continues to go late in drafts like he did last year. Um, and remember, what, before Lamar Jackson took over and sort of killed the Ravens passing game, John Brown was producing. He averaged 67 yards per game 
0.4 touchdowns per game in nine outings with Joe Flacco. He was 22nd among wide receivers in PBR points over that span. So yeah, I think he, he he's going to be erratic because you know he does most of his stuff downfield anyways. He's playing with Josh Allen now. But I do think, especially in best ball, you grab him as like your fifth wide receiver, I think he's going to pay off for you there. Yeah, I, I, I'm certainly fine with him at that level. Um, there are probably players available around him that I enjoy more but this is this is one of the few places he could have landed that I don't really like John Brown um I, I, the defense for what it's worth could be sneaky they added Ed Oliver defensive end Trent Murphy is healthier than he was last year when he joined them as a, a big money free agent they have talent at every level um so team defense is in places where you're drafting those right now uh, I think Buffalo is sneaky on the players I don't like side, I mean, it's the opposite of the other one. It's everything. Like I said, it's just it's just too crowded for me to, to jump on anybody. Yep. Uh, yeah. Like we said with Josh Allen, he's you know, there's just so many quarterbacks that he's probably going to go before I want him. I don't believe in him as a passer still, and I'm not convinced he'll, he'll sustain last year's rushing production. Um, the, the backfield, you know, we, we talked – there's going to be volume there for the running backs, but at this point, guessing who it's going to go to. And even once you get into the season, I mean, it could be a three headed backfield. So it's just, it's not a, a backfield I'm really looking to invest in right now. Right. I mean, maybe not all four of these guys make it to the regular season, but probably right. three of them do unless yep. somebody gets hurt. And yeah, it's just not a, not a spot to, to jump on any specific player. Um, it, it would be a nice spot if the rookie were somebody that we were less worried about producing yep. in the NFL. On to the Dolphins. So any relevant coaching changes for the Dolphins here? I think there might have been a couple. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, total turnover here. We got head coach Brian Flores in, offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea, both from New England and both you know have spent their time in the NFL as positional coaches. Chad O'Shea has never called plays at the NFL level. So we're sort of just guessing at this point when we try to you know assign a run pass split for the Finns. Oh, we are totally guessing here. Let's, let's not even lie about it. Um, Chad O'Shea spent 10 years as a Patriots wide receivers coach. I, you know, I, I, I tried to use that in projecting the run pass split because really there's not a whole lot else you can do. Um, Patriots are regularly high in total plays on offense. I'm certainly not betting on this Miami team being among the higher in the league in that. Also, New England was among the more run-heavy offenses in the league two of the past three years. They are regularly under 60% pass. I think that has helped a lot by uh, their the fact that they win a lot of games because when you're ahead, you're going to um, not throw the ball quite as much. They averaged a 57.6% pass share over O'Shea's 10 years there. That's where I landed with um, the the projected split for Miami heading into this season. I don't think they'll be very good. I think that could hurt a little bit on the run pass splits, but I also don't think that they're going to try to pass a whole lot. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I agree. It's not going to be a good team. They're going to be playing from behind. I don't think their offense looks set up to be good passing. I don't think they set up to look you know very strong on the ground. So yeah, again, we're sort of just guessing here for now. What I do like is that I do think we're going to see an increase in total volume for this Dolphins offense. Last year, Miami ranked 31st in situation neutral pace under Adam Gase. They were dead last in the NFL with 54.9 offensive snaps per game. And like you alluded to, the Patriots have pretty consistently been near the top of the league in total plays. They've been top 12 in five straight seasons, averaging 67.5 plays 
per game over that span. So that's about 12 and a half more plays than Miami ran last year. And now part of that, I agree, is that New England has been good. They've been able to, you know, control the football. But I do think we're going to see some increase in play volume for Miami this season, which definitely helps a bit. Yeah, and and for what it's worth, I mean, the the Miami offense, Josh Rosen didn't have a good rookie year, but he's a smart quarterback. Um, They have some decent talent at wide receiver. We'll get to those guys in a few minutes. Uh, and they're not – they don't have a, a grinded-out backfield. I mean, we'll talk about Kenny Drake and Kalen Balazs here in a minute too, uh, but neither of those guys – they're not set up to be a ball-control offense. I don't think we're going to see the team, you know, just just try to grind it out and keep games low-scoring. We could see surprising pace here and surprising uh, total plays from the new Miami staff. Yeah, I mean, even just to get them back up to like league average in plays would mean, you know, six, seven extra plays per game. Yeah. So QB notes, what do you got on Josh Rosen? Josh Rosen, I mean, not not much to be encouraged by as a rookie last year. 29th among 30 quarterbacks in completion rate, dead last in yards per attempt, dead last in touchdown rate, 27th in interception rate, um, 29th in pro football focuses adjusted completion rate, which, you know, takes into account depth of throw as well as stuff like drops. Um, Of course, Rosen really didn't have much of a chance in that situation in Arizona. Not a great pass catching core. The offensive line was bad. Um, Rosen was under pressure on 40.4% of his drop backs last season. That was third highest in the league. The issue going to Miami is how, you know, how much better is this situation going to be? I think, you know, the, the pass catchers as a, as a group, maybe a bit better, but the offensive line's a concern, you know, Ryan Tannehill, Miami's starting quarterback last season, which pressured 37.7% of the time. That was sixth highest. So he, he was, you know, he was not under pressure, only slightly less than, than Josh Rosen was. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, maybe a bit better than, than it was in Arizona last year for Rosen though. Yeah, I mean, Miami's not exciting a receiver, but it's at least probably better than Arizona's receiving crew was last season. So I defy anybody to to show us a projection system where Josh Rosen comes out as a truly <laughs> fantasy relevant quarterback outside of like deep right. super flex leagues. So we'll we'll move on from quarterback notes there and go to running backs, which is more fun to talk about with Miami. And it starts with Kenyon Drake, who finished last season as RB fourteen in PPR leagues. Thanks, you know, thanks largely to the touchdown catches, but that also came after 2017 where he was the number eight PPR running back over the final five weeks of the season when he took over that backfield. Um, In his two seasons in the league, Kenyon Drake is tied for 11th in running back targets, tied with Saquon Barkley, by the way, (laughs) who got all of his targets last year. Um, and, And Drake is... You know, was never a workhorse at Alabama, but he's not a tiny guy. He's six foot one, two hundred and ten pounds, which is nice size at receiver. It's a little bit on the light side at running back, um, but decent size. And he did perform better in Football Outsiders efficiency metrics last year versus his rookie season. Top twenty-two in both of the Football Outsiders rushing efficiency metrics, um, the two main ones. Top twelve inefficiency on the receiving side in both categories. As I said, both of those are up from below average numbers in 2017. So Kenyon Drake improved his performance, even though the coaches took touches away from him versus the end of 2017. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, Adam Gase just never seemed to like Kenyon Drake. Um, 15 plus touches in only eight games over the past two seasons, despite really solid production. 
Um, 4.66 yards per carry for Drake over the last two seasons. That's ninth best among 45 running backs with 200 plus carries over that span. He ranked 19th among 47 running backs in elusive rating last year. He was second among 47 back in 2017. So I've always thought this guy deserves more touches. I think the the change in coaching staff can only be good news for Drake. I think, you know, hopefully Chad O'Shea sort of, and he doesn't even need to be, you know, a, a feature back 20 touch per game guy, but I think, you know, 15 to 17 touches. I really think Drake can, you know, be, uh, be a top 15 running back this season. Yeah. You'll find people excited about Kalen Balazs right, right now. Um, but there, he doesn't, Kalen Balazs doesn't bring a stronger profile right. than Kenyon Drake. Um, Six one and a half, two hundred and twenty eight pounds. So he is a bigger dude than Drake, thicker. Uh, but he never led Arizona State in carries in any of his four seasons in college. Um, was behind Demario Richard each season that he was there. Uh, Balage actually, Balage might have just been there three years. Now that I say that out loud, um, but either way, never passed up Demario Richard, Richard in carries. And Richard, by the way, has never caught on with an NFL team. Has not made a regular season roster in the NFL yet. Um, Balage did lead that backfield in receiving each of his last two years there. So, um, does have a strong receiving profile like Kenyon Drake. The, we'll see how they compete for the top spot in that backfield this off season, but I don't think that there's any reason to believe right now that Balage overtakes Kenyon Drake as the lead rusher. Right. I mean, I, everything I've seen tells me Kenny and Drake's the better player. We'll, we'll see. Obviously, it matters much more what the Dolphins coaching staff thinks than I do. But, you know, the, there are 156 carries up for grabs with Frank Gore out of the picture. So there's room for Blige, even, you know, as the number two back to, you know, maybe see eight to 10 touches per game. Yeah. You might, if you go to Twitter, you might see that you might feel like you need to either like Drake or Balage, but actually their draft positions make it quite possible to like Drake and still like Balage. We'll get to that uh, in a minute. On the pass catcher notes, Albert Wilson up first. What do you what do you got for Albert Wilson? Yeah, I mean he's he's the Miami receiver I'm most interested in, especially because you can usually get him with one of your your last few picks. Um, we only saw Wilson for seven games last year, but those seven games included some some pretty nice outings. Uh, he had a 37 yard one touchdown game, a 74 yard one touchdown game, a five catch 43 yard outing, and then a big six catch 155 yard two touchdown outing. That was against the Bears. Um, Wilson finished with 11.2 yards per target last season that ranked third among 119 wide receivers with 30 plus targets led that entire group of 119 wide receivers in yards per route run. So he was super efficient last year. It seems like he was sort of brought in by the Adam Gase coaching staff. So, you know, we'll see how this new staff feels about Wilson, but, you know, based on his performance last year, I think he, he deserves to play a pretty, pretty big role in this passing game this season. Yeah, and I mean, the first challenge for him is going to be proving that he's back from the hip injury that ended his season, and it's still been uh, dogging him a little this spring. Um, new wide receivers coach Carl Durrell was talking him up right after the staff arrived, though. I, I believe dynamic was the word that he used to describe Albert Wilson's play last year. And I, I want to look back to Albert Wilson's college numbers, um, which seems kind of silly after he's been in the NFL for five years, but... Um, you know, market share has gained traction in projecting dynasty guys. Albert Wilson in his senior season at Georgia State, 32.6% of receptions, 38.8% of yards, 44.4% of the team's touchdowns that year. Uh, and then 
you spin him forward. He spent four years as no more than a third receiver in Kansas City. Then he got injured halfway through his first year with Miami. So, yeah, maybe the market shares end up not being relevant at this point. Maybe we're too far removed for it to still count. But I also think that we're still waiting on our first real chance to see what Albert Wilson does with a chance to either lead or at least compete for the top spot in a receiving core. Yeah, college production promising. Um, ran a four, four, three, forty time um, leading up to his draft. Tested as like a sixtieth percentile spark guy. So yeah, he definitely checks boxes as a, as a college prospect and has flashed when given chances as a pro so far. Mm-hmm. Devonte Parker has just one fewer catch than Kenny Stills, despite playing nine fewer games in their four shared seasons in Miami. Parker's got a better catch rate than Stills over that span, of course. He needs to prove himself. He it probably took a new coaching staff for him to get another shot in Miami. We'll see what he does with this shot. Um, Kenny Stills, meanwhile, leads Dolphins incumbents in receptions and yards over those four years that he's been in the Miami. 15 more touchdowns than anyone still on the roster over that span. And he has improved his catch rate in three straight years. New quarterback, so we'll see if that continues. Yeah, new quarterback, new coaching staff. So it'll just be interesting to see how this um, wide receiver core shakes out. Devontae Parker will not die. I was surprised Mammy brought him back, but it tells me that, that this new staff maybe, you know, is another group that thinks they can make Devontae Parker a successful on it for wide receiver. I'm sort of done believing it. <laughs> yeah, can understand that. Um, Mike Jasicki, before we get away from the pass catchers, uh, you know, nothing special, and we weren't expecting anything special as rookie year. He has come back now, adding a reported 13 pounds to his frame, played at 240 as a rookie. Uh, he's probably always going to be on the light side as a tight end. Uh, a little bit more weight probably can't hurt as long as it doesn't affect his speed, which is top shelf for the position. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, didn't do much as a rookie, which isn't surprising. Um, you know, we don't see many rookie tight ends, you know, do a whole lot, but I, I think there's a chance for a second year leap here. You know, Jasicki, the, the, a second-round pick of the Finns a year ago, elite athleticism. And, you know, the staff coming over from New England, you know, they, they've obviously been around teams that have made the tight end a big part of their passing game. So we'll see if Chad O'Shea tries to do that with, with uh, Gasicki. Yeah, and the big thing that makes all of these pass catchers interesting, you know, we talked some positives about them. You don't have to love any of them to get them in fantasy drafts right now. And I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. I think taking shots on any of the three receivers that we named and Mike Jasicki late, um, they all make sense because they're all going to go fairly late in drafts and probably it will probably be that way through August. Yep, for sure. Um, So I I would include all of the receivers in the who I like category for that reason. Kenyon Drake, though, leads that. He is running back 28 on play draft right now, which is it's really just rude. I mean, that, that's that's basically his floor, I would think. Um, I, I think at minimum he's going to remain in fall. I mean, he, he, he finished like 15th among running backs in PPR points last year just because of that receiving production. If he adds another 50 carries again, I mean, I think he, he can be a borderline RB1. I, I'm I'm admittedly a bit hesitant every time I, I, I you know click the button to draft him just because I'm not exactly sure how this Dolphins coaching staff views him. But again, I, I think if they commit to getting him even – 15 touches per game. I think he's going to crush that ADP. Yeah, I will take him near the bottom of running back two territory every time. On the who I don't like side, I mean, really, it's it's kind of the the invert. Nobody in Miami is really going early enough for me to hate them. There are obviously guys I'm not going to draft, but um, there's nobody here that I'm excited about beyond Drake. And, you know, that's even that's a little bit tempered excitement. 
but it's discounted draft prices for everybody. Nobody is excited about Miami. Even Kalen Balazs, who I mentioned before, sitting 51st among running backs on play draft. So like I said, you don't have to like him. You can take Kenyon Drake in round, like at the four or five turn. And I just took Balazs probably for the first time this offseason in the middle of round 13 and wrap up that backfield. Yeah, agreed there. Um, you know, Josh Rosen really not on my radar. Even in like a two quarterback league, I would hope to have my third quarterback before I even get to Rosen in the rankings. And then Devontae Parker, I think I'm just going to uh, ban myself from drafting Devontae Parker this summer at any point. That's fair. Yeah, I didn't even honestly consider Josh yeah. Rosen because I don't think anybody's yep. truly um, considering him. On to the New England Patriots where, I mean, it's tough to say that there are really any relevant coaching changes, even though they just lost their lead defensive coach other than Bill Belichick for the second straight offseason. Josh McDaniels is still around. Of course, Bill Belichick's still around. So what are what are the trends that we're following here for the for projecting their pass run split? I mentioned it in the Dolphins section, um, but, you know, the, the Patriots top 12 in total offensive snaps in eight straight seasons, and they've been top three in six of the last eight seasons. So, you know, that that just that, that's just huge to have a team that kind of consistently runs that many offensive snaps. You know, that's sort of the, the basic currency of fantasy points. You're not going to score fantasy points if you're not running plays. Um, it's it's become a run leaning offense in New England, and I think it makes sense with their quarterback aging. Um, the Pats have finished. 5th, 17th, and ninth in run rate over the last three seasons. And I think, you know, looking to 2019, their personnel says that really should continue. They lose Rob Gronkowski. They return Sonny Michelle, who they just spent a first-round pick on. And then they, you know, sort of surprisingly spent a third-round pick to add Damian Harris to the backfield. So I really think they're, you know, preparing to, again, lean on the run this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've had Josh McDaniels back in New England for seven years now as offensive coordinator, so plenty of time for us to see some trends. The offense has averaged a 57.9% passing share over that span, but less than 56% in two of the past three years. I I gave them 57.5% pass in my projections. That's probably too high unless unless they struggle a little bit more than we expect them to heading into the season, though, as I look back on it. Yeah, I'm at 54, and again, that's not including sacks that you include in. So I'm probably, you know, between 55 and 56%. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why Tom Brady is sliding down draft boards, sliding down rankings. Um, what do you have for notes on that guy? Yeah, Brady came out uncomfortably low in our quarterback rankings. It just it didn't feel right, but I think, you know, we agree that's sort of where he belongs. Um, fewest yards per game since 2014, last season just 272 um, his 1.8 touchdowns per game were his fewest since 2013. Um, we haven't projected for 34.4 pass attempts per game this season, which would be his fewest since 2010. And, and you know, Brady, of course, not going to give you anything on the ground. So if he's not giving you, you know, high end passing numbers, he, he's you know going to struggle for quarterback one value in fantasy. Yeah, I think seeing him slide down draft boards just as he did in our rankings makes him fine to take a shot on but I he, he came out low for me he came out low for you I think he came out right in the same range for both of us it's just not a year to get excited about Tom Brady which of course might make it then for that reason a year to consider drafting Brady as we get into August if nobody's drafting him um, but it's things are trending toward the run I mean New England even added a third round running back a year after drafting a first round running back to an offense that has leaned run in the recent seasons, as we already pointed out. So everything, all the indicators are pointing that way to that backfield. 
Sony Michelle was the first round back last year, scored six rushing touchdowns among his two uh, among his 209 regular season carries last year, then added six more rushing touchdowns on just 71 postseason carries, was a workhorse in the postseason for the overall package, six games of 100 plus rushing yards among his 16 outings, that includes the playoffs, and ran for 129, 113, and 94 in those three playoff games. Yeah, and this Patriots backfield, a consistent source of rushing touchdowns. The Pats, this is crazy. The Pats have finished top 12 in rushing touchdowns in 15 straight seasons. They've been top six in rushing touchdowns in 11 of those um, 15 seasons. And Michelle obviously quickly took over as the goal line back for the Pats last year. He finished sixth in the NFL in red zone carries. He was sixth in carries inside the 10, seventh in carries inside the five. And that's despite missing a few games. So, you know, he... Um, there's concerns with Michelle. I think we'll get to him in, in a bit here, but you know he he's one of the best bets I think to lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns this season. I will be curious to see if his workload this season um, gets anywhere close to what it was in the playoffs. I, I wouldn't bet on it because it was high, and I that I don't think that that is a sustainable full season workload, especially for a guy with some history of knee issues and for an organization smart enough to know that you're going to wear out a, a player by running him that hard. Um, we'll, we'll see how they treat him. I was also surprised, though, to see how little he was involved in the passing game because I think Sony Michel arrived in the NFL as the more well-thought-of receiving back among between the Georgia duo Sony Michel and Nick Chubb last year. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, that's how the Patriots kind of run their backfield. They basically use Sonny Michelle in the LeGarrette Blunt role, even though Michelle can catch passes. You know, they obviously are going to use James White there. So, yeah, that, that's a concern for Michelle. Um, just 13 targets among his 15 full games last season. Um, anything else on him before we move on to other guys? No, yeah, let's talk James White. James White, kind of a breakout season last year, but I think there's lots of room for aggression on this one, starting with the red zone work. Um, in 2017, James White had a then-career-high six carries inside the 10-yard line, according to Pro Football Reference. Last season, that number jumped to 14, so he more than doubled his previous high in that particular area. He entered 2018 with just two career red zone rushing touchdowns. James White added three of them last season alone. So I think that's coming down not only because Sony Michelle controlled that work in the postseason, but then the team added Damian Harris, who is another bigger guy. Um, James White, though, also saw 21.4% of Patriots pass targets last season. Compare that with his 13.9% share in his 14 games in 2017. And, you know, there was less Gronk involved last year and some other guys missing. But 2017, there was no Julian Edelman. That was the season that he missed the entire thing with the ACL tear. And still we saw eight fewer percentage points on the target share for James White in that season. So I think there's room for his target share to come down as well, even though you might think the opposite with Rob Gronkowski now moving on. Yeah, I, I do think it's coming down as well. Like you said, 13.9% in 2017, 15.6% um, target share for James White in 2016. So, you know, we have him projected right around 17% of targets this season. Um, that still gets him to 95 targets, which is fourth most among running backs in our projections. So he's not going to you know fall off a cliff as far as um, his pass catching production goes. But I do think he's a pretty good bet to take a, a bit of a step back this season. And going much higher in drafts after what he did last season, yep. which is obviously the key to actually valuing a player for fantasy. Um, Rex Burkhead, of course, 
you know, got a, a pretty hefty injury history to him now. Saw more work in the playoffs last year after spending half the year on IR, but then the Patriots added Damian Harris in round three of the draft. And you have to wonder if they view Damian Harris as a potential upgrade on Rex Burkhead right away. Yeah, sometimes I think the Patriots love Rex Burkhead, and sometimes I think they're just like trying to get rid of him. And I think the Damian Harris edition does, you know, make Burkhead a potential um, cut candidate as we get into August. But we'll see how many running backs the Patriots want to keep. And they keep signing Rex Burkhead to one-year deals, so I, that that certainly doesn't tell me he's a guy that they can't live without. As we as we know, there's no guy that the Patriots can't live without. Exactly. All right, on to the pass catcher notes. What do you got for Julian Edelman? I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna like Julian Edelman this year. I think maybe for the first time ever. I, mean, I think the fact that he came back from that ACL last year at his age and continued to produce, I sort of think he's a guy that's you know probably going to break some of the usual aging curves and continue to be. Uh, a solid fan shot option, especially with the volume he's going to get. Um, 108 targets for Edelman in 12 games last year. That's nine per game. Full season pace of 144, which re- would have ranked 10th among wide receivers. I think he can really come in right around there, maybe even best that this season with Rob Gronkowski out of the way, with Josh Gordon gone. Um, Edelman saw a 24.8% target share last year in those 12 games. We haven't projected at 25 and a half percent right now. So again, I, th- I think there's no reason to believe he's going to see a downturn in targets and he should remain efficient as that short range target for Brady. Yeah. I mean, he's a candidate to lead the league in, um, in market share of targets. I think this season, I'm not necessarily projecting that, but I think he's at least in the, the conversation. Um, nine games of 10 plus targets last year among Edelman's 15 total games. That includes the playoffs for the regular season, only DeAndre Hopkins and Juju Smith-Schuster had more than nine games of 10-plus targets. Hopkins had 11, Smith-Schuster had 10, and then six other players had nine. So that's the level that Julian Edelman is at. He's going to be a frequent target. He's going to load up a lot, and he's going to have some big games um, this year. You mentioned Rob Gronkowski being gone. You know, that's, that's obviously a huge factor for the offense. I, I think that there is some danger to overrating what they're losing in Gronk because, um, you know, overall he's been excellent. Last year, however, he was just the number 11 tight end in PPR points and just uh, tight end nine in points per game. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to say, but I think Gronk might, the loss might hurt more in like run blocking than, than it does in the passing game. That's sort of, you know, what Gronk had become late in his career. Uh, Nikhil Harry is somebody that they picked up to um, help bolster the passing game. What do you got on him? Yeah, I mean, the Pats obviously made the first round investment in Harry, so they obviously are high on the guy. I think they want and almost need him to make a year one impact considering what they have a wide receiver behind Julian Edelman. Um, you know, there's already been talk from a lot of the Patriots beat writers, and I've read some stuff about their, you know, hit Harry's usage in OTAs. It sounds like he's going to see a lot of time in the slot, you know, as that big slot guy. I think the Patriots think he can sort of help replace Rob Gronkowski, who, you know, was kind of almost a big slot guy. A lot of times he was running pass routes. So, you know, we have Harry at 78 targets right now. It's a 14% target share. I think there's room for more if he can settle into this offense. Um, you know, he's he's not quite in, you know, draftable range in our rankings right now. But if you get late in a draft, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a shot on Harry because, again, I think his ceiling – goes quite a bit higher than what we haven't projected for right now. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I would be, I'm not chasing after him hard at his ADP, but I would be a little bit frightened to to enter the season with no shares of him because 
the ceiling is high and he was an early producer in college. And obviously he went to a place that's generally good with figuring out how to use players, even if their track record on, on early wideouts is not great. Um, Philip Dorsett, I, I, I hope that we can forget about him as we get to the season, but for what it's worth, he topped 50% of the snaps just five, just six times last year, weeks one through five, and then week 17. In those six games, he saw seven red zone targets, 34 total targets. So we'll see how the summer plays out and if what is around him kind of necessitates Philip Dorsett still being in the picture. If he is in the picture come September, uh, we we can't forget about him completely. Yeah, I think, I think though what we saw from Dorsett last year is the role the Patriots want him in, you know, sort of that situational big play guy because, you know, they, after, you know, likely losing Josh Gordon, you know, and we'll, we'll see, he's not completely out of the picture yet, but sounds like he, he won't be back. You know, they, they've added Nikhil Harry, they added Demarius Thomas, they added Dontrell Inman, they added Maurice Harris. So I think, you know, they don't, they don't want Dorsett to be doing much more than he did last season. Mm-hmm. Who do we like? Uh, Julian Edelman, as we mentioned. Yeah, it's Edelman for me. I mean, so after he returned last year from week five on, he was PPR wide receiver nine, and he's being drafted well below that right now. I think his ADP is around wide receiver 15, so I think he's a nice value in drafts right now. He's the Patriot I'm I'm most likely to draft at this point. Yeah, wide receiver 16 on play draft, uh, which is half PPR. I agree. Even even at that higher than previous level, uh, he's still a guy to easily like. Not be, even if the, the ceiling doesn't go so far beyond that, he seems like a good bet uh, relative to lots of other guys in that range to at least deliver his floor. And I just think even even weekly, he's just a nice guy in, in PPR to mm-hmm. have. You, you almost you know pencil him in for double-digit points every week, and he definitely has you know 20-point upside. Who I don't like, Sonny Michel, James White, uh, especially as we get to – the lineup setting portion of the fantasy calendar when we have to choose who to start each week. I, I think it's going to be tough to trust those guys. And most importantly, they're not coming at strong values in drafts. Now, Michelle is RB 19 on play draft. He's ahead of Aaron Jones, carry on Johnson, Mark Ingram. Um, he is more than a round ahead of Chris Carson. I don't, I don't know that there's a big difference between Sony Michelle and Chris Carson. Other than that, we can trust the Patriots to probably score more points than the Seahawks. I mean, we have Carson ranked ahead of Sonny Michelle right now, and you can get him later, like you said. So, yeah, Michelle is my um, guy I, I don't like at cost on the Patriots right now. Early fourth-round ADP in PPR. We talked about the lack of targets. That that hurts him, uh, especially in PPR. Even in non-PPR, it sort of makes him more volatile from week to week. He has the lengthy injury history. He had you know a couple of different issues just this past season. And then they added Damian Harris, and I think Sonny Michelle – is a better running back than Damian Harris, but you know they spent a third-round pick on him. It wouldn't be surprising to see Harris end up with like a hundred or so carries this season, right? And all he has to do is steal, you know, four or five touchdowns to really make a big difference in that range in the running back rankings. And I mean, James White, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to fall off, but he's early in round five on play draft or just half PPR. I'm going to guess that he will regularly go in round four maybe even slip into round three um, as PPR drafts really get going. It's that it's just a matter of him going too early for me, and it's going to be tough to trust him week to week. Easier to, to take a guy like that in um, best ball where you don't have to pick which weeks to use him, but I think he's going to be kind of unpredictable and probably a little bit – probably fall some from last year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think he's more likely to produce like he did in 2016 and 2017, which was, as you know, more of a lower-run running back two than he did last season. 
Let's wrap up the AFC East with the Jets, where, of course, relevant coaching changes. We got Adam Gase in. We got a new offensive coordinator along with him. Um, what do those guys mean for the Jets? Yeah, the, the vaunted uh, Adam Gase, Dowell Logan's coaching combination that we got uh, together in Miami last season, and they led the Finns to a 31st place finish in total yards, 26th place finish in total points. My biggest... I want to like this Jets offense because I like Sam Darnold. I like they added Le'Veon Bell. I like some of the pieces they have, uh, you know, at, at wide receiver and tight end. But Adam Gase is my problem. As Dolphins head coach over the past three seasons, here are Miami's ranks in offensive pace, um, you know, which is you know uh, seconds per snap and then total offensive plays run. They were thirty first and thirty second in two thousand fifteen or two thousand sixteen. Sorry, twenty ninth and twenty second in 2017 and then 31st and 32nd last year. So, I mean, we talked about with New England, it's nice to get all these offensive plays. I, I just think the Jets are going to be, you know, one of the slower paced offenses and probably finished, finished near the bottom of the league in offensive snaps this season. Yeah. Um, three of Gase's past four offenses came in under 58% pass. Loggins is four offenses in the league. Um, that's among that's over three teams have averaged fifty seven point one percent pass share. So I don't think that we're looking at really high volume on this offense. That's probably not going really high play volume. Um, we'll see. Maybe the, there, there's bound to be some positive regression on the the total plays front. I think because Miami was so low, but there's just not much to get excited about. I went with fifty eight point three percent pass for the Jets which was the average of Gase's six offenses so far, two in Denver, one in Chicago, three in Miami. I wouldn't be surprised if we do end up going over 60% here because I don't think that the team is going to be uh, great. I don't think the D looks special. I think that the uh, opponents will score some points. They'll do some chasing. And the Jets' backfield looks fairly thin. Yeah, I, I do think that they want to lean on the run here. Um, Gase's Miami offenses, two of them ranked sixth and 10th in run rate. The other ranked 32nd. Um, and then his 2015 Bears offense, where he was offensive coordinator, that team ranked eighth in run rate. So, you know, there's definitely a trend there. And they obviously made the big investment in Le'Veon Bell. I think they want him to be the focal point of the offense. Mm-hmm. It all starts with Sam Darnold, of course, and QB notes. What do you got for last year's rookie that should have been a giant? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, the the... You know, season-long numbers don't look great, but Darnold definitely came on late in the season. Um, in four games, the final four games after returning from that foot injury, he completed 64% of his passes, 7.5 yards per attempt, six touchdowns versus one interception. Um, he was quarterback 13 over that stretch. Um, and now, obviously, this offseason, you get Le'Veon Bell added to the mix. They add Jamison Crowder alongside Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunma, Chris Herndon. So, again, the, you know, the – Weapons are sort of in place here, and I do think Darnold is going to, you know, be a successful NFL quarterback. It's just, you know, with what I think is going to be a run heavier offense and the low play volume in general. You know, we right now have Sam Darnold projected 25th among quarterbacks in pass attempts, so it's sort of tough for him to, you know, st- sniff the top 12 if he's going to be that low in pass attempts. Yeah, I did. I project. I went back and checked mine after I saw that number in your notes. Uh, I haven't projected 14th in pass attempts among quarterbacks. My total would rank. 15th in the DS projections right now. Um, so I guess I've probably got a little bit more passing volume for them, a little bit more on the pass side, probably some more total plays. But I mean, as you have said, it's it's tough to get excited about the situation overall. And as we always say, quarterback is so crowded. You really need something that's exciting to, to jump you up that board. Yep, exactly. On the running back notes, Le'Veon Bell is about as big an addition as you can make in the backfield. 
Um, although it, it sounds like Adam Gase maybe wasn't necessarily on board with that addition. We'll see how that plays out through the summer. Um, stuck with him at this point, though. Bell has averaged 102 and a half targets per 16 games for his career so far. Um, what we don't know about him, of course, is what it could possibly mean that he missed the entire uh, 2018 season and is now coming back to play football. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe a rest helps him. Maybe he's not ready for football when he gets back. One thing we do know is that he's probably not running behind as nearly as good an offensive line as he did in Pittsburgh. Last year, the Steelers ranked 15th in Football Outsiders adjusted line yards, the Jets 32nd. Each of the previous four years, Pittsburgh finished uh, among the top eight, 7th, 3rd, 8th, and 6th. The Jets finished 29th, 12th, 26th, 20th. So Le'Veon Bell is going from a good offensive line overall to one that has been among the worst in the league. Yeah, and even beyond the offensive line, I think you're just getting a downgrade in you know offensive talent around him in general. Um, so that that's the bad news. I think if you're you know banking on Bell, you're banking on volume. Um, he's he's going to be busy in New York. How busy you know, under a new coaching staff? We, we don't know for sure. I, I did uh, try to go back and you know find a comp with Adam Gase. He did have Matt Forte in Chicago in 2015. That season, Forte averaged 16.8 carries and 4.5 targets per game. That's those are good numbers. They're also pretty far short of what Bell averaged in Pittsburgh over five seasons there, though. He was at 19.8 carries, so exactly three more than uh, Forte in 2015, and 6.4 targets per game. So, you know, almost two extra targets per game uh, than Forte had under Adam Gase. So I think, you know, Bell Bell should be up near the top of the league in, in total touches by running backs this season, but I think it's possible he, he sees a bit less work in New York than he did in Pittsburgh. And especially because he finished his Pittsburgh run with the biggest numbers of his Pittsburgh career past two years there, the final two years there, 21.4 carries per game, 21.8 carries per game, 5.7 receptions per game, 6.3 receptions per game. Again, both of those categories, those were the two largest rates of his career to date. How heavy a workload is he going to be ready for this season after a year off? How heavy a workload do they want to give him in a new place? Um, you know, coming off that year, I don't know. And then what's the backup plan behind him? You would think Ty Montgomery um, should be well set up to to take some of that work away. But the Jets list Ty Montgomery as a wide receiver slash halfback on the website. So I'm not sure exactly what their plan for him is even. Yeah, and they still have uh, Elijah McGuire there too, who I think, you know, what was decent down the stretch last season. So, But again, I think it's going to be, you know, Bell pretty much as much as he can handle. Yeah. I would imagine so. It's going to be one to watch, um, and we'll get back to Bell in a minute. Uh, among the pass catchers, uh, why don't you start us off with some Robbie Anderson? Yeah, if you look at his overall numbers, he took a slight step back from 2017, but his his finish to the year was encouraging um, with Sam Darnold. Again, over those final four games where Darnold came back from the foot injury, really came on. It was Robbie Anderson who emerged as his clear go-to guy. Anderson had 23 catches over those four games for 336 yards, three touchdowns. He was the PPR wide receiver six over those final four. Now, he saw a 31.2% target share over that span, so he was just dominating targets. He's not going to match that number this season with Le'Veon Bell in the mix. Uh, Again, the Jets added Jamison Crowder. Quincy Anunua missed three of those final four games. So, So again, I mean, I think Anderson's targets are coming down. We have him projected right around 22% right now for 111 targets total. But I I think the chemistry he showed 
we had Darnold last year was encouraging. And, you know, he Anderson is the Jets wide receiver. I'm drafting first in fantasy right now. Yeah, and I agree that he's not going to meet the high target share from the end of the season. But it was encouraging that we saw things grow throughout that first season with Darnold there. First five games of the year, Robbie Anderson saw 14.1% of Jets targets. Then in the eight games following Quincy Nunway's initial ankle injury, uh, that was up to 24.1% for Robbie Anderson. And then in the four games that he played without a Nunwe for the year, 29.4%. Um, I do think it'll stay up. I don't think that it'll be nearly that high. Overall, for his 14 games, Robbie Anderson saw 20.4%. I, I think he can settle in somewhere in the 20 to 22 range um, this year. Yeah, that feels about right. And that's a fine number but again we talk about the low the low play volume and potential low pass rate for the Jets and it sort of again you know it leaves Anderson with only 111 targets which you know is, ju- is just okay perhaps the biggest challenge to him is Jamison Crowder who's averaging 94 targets per 16 games through his four seasons so far 100 targets per 16 games over the past three years and after they signed him Adam Gase told the team website that Crowder brings quote unique explosiveness uh, to the slot receiver spot, a direct quote from Gase: "We've never had a guy that can that really can juice it up like he can." So he's obviously excited about Jamison Crowder. I think it'll be Crowder versus Robbie Anderson for the target lead there. I have Anderson as you know, kind of the clear target leader. I struggled even separating Jamison Crowder with Quincy Anunua because the Jets just signed Quincy Anunua to a new four year, four year, thirty six million dollar deal. Um, I think it was late last season. So I, I sort of have Anunua and Crowder in the same ballpark as far as targets go. I think Anunue was a signing before Adam Gase arrived, though. It was. It was. So the Gase crew chose Jamison Crowder. I, I think Anunue is third there pretty easily now and, and probably fourth behind Le'Veon Bell um, on my target list. I don't have my distribution in front of me. I, I do have Robbie Anderson um, ahead of everybody for now. I just wouldn't be surprised if we see Jamison Crowder make it closer than we expect with, right, with Anderson. You've always been a Crowder guy. That's true. Until <laughs> last year. Right. Um, well, during the season, I guess. I was working <laughs> into the season. Anyway, Quincy Nunwe, last year, left ankle injury, ended his season in week 14. High right ankle sprain in week six, took time away before that. He opened the season seeing 27.5% of the targets over the first five games. So <laughs> fantasy folks were starting to get amped up about Quincy Nunwe working with Sam Darnold. Uh, then he got hurt. Robbie Anderson stepped up, and you know they've added a bunch of other guys now. Yeah, and again, we'll see how the Anunwa and uh, Jameson Crowder and even Robbie Anderson, how the target share breaks down. But with Le'Veon Bell there, with Chris Herndon there, who we'll talk about next here, I think it's it's going to be tough for whoever that third wide receiver is for the Jets to be fantasy relevant. Yeah, so why don't you hit us with some Chris Herndon numbers now? Yeah, so Chris Herndon turned in a, a pretty impressive rookie season. Uh, he finished PPR tight end 16 last year. His 113 PPR points were the ninth most by a rookie tight end over the past season, or over the past 10 seasons. Um, so, you know, so encouraging, especially, you know, playing with a, a rookie quarterback. He did it too on just a 10.7% target share, only saw 56 targets. So I think his role should grow this season. We have him at 71 targets this year, and that puts him in, in high end tight end two territory. Um, yeah, saw double digit target shares in eight of the 10 games following the initial Quincy Anunue. Um, ankle injury was was heavily involved all year his playing time did not change a lot as we went through the year he was more he was playing more snaps than it probably seemed like early in the season just started getting the ball a bit more um gets lost a little bit at, at kind of a 
crowded tight end position in fantasy, but there's certainly upside to Herndon. Who I like here, I, I'm going with Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder because Anderson is going at wide receiver 30 on play draft, Jamison Crowder at wide receiver 59. Again, neither is a guy that I'm going to draft every single time, but I have Anderson a few spots higher than that. In my projections, I have Crowder about 10 spots higher than his ADP, so I will certainly take shots at both guys. Yep, Anderson, again, is the wide receiver I'm most likely to be interested in with the Jets here. And Chris Herndon, um, you know, as a tight end, too, or even if I, you know, wait super long and I'm into, you know, the 10th round without a tight end, without a tight end yet, I'm fine, you know, grabbing Herndon and, you know, coming back with another guy and maybe, you know, having that platoon. Who do you not like? Uh, Le'Veon Bell at Price. I mean, there's, there's, there's just other guys in the first round I feel better about. There's too many questions with Bell, with the year off. With a new offense, you know, under Adam Gase, who I'm not big on, um, downgrade in offensive line, downgrade in supporting cast. So I think he'll be fine as long as he stays healthy just because he's going to get the touches. But there's guys, you know, James, Connor, Melvin Gordon that I would rather draft. I mean, and even if you say, well, those running backs come with questions too, give me the wide receivers in that range uh, easily over Le'Veon Bell. I mean, there are probably five receivers that I'm taking before I'm even giving Bell another look. So I, I agree. I'm not even considering him at the spot where you have to take him. You know, there's the year off that we have no idea what it's going to mean. There's the offense that is probably not going to be exciting at the very least. Um, there, there are too many things to point at and question here for me to get excited about Le'Veon Bell just because he's Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a first-round fantasy pick. You want those guys to have as few risk factors as possible. And I think Bell has a, has a lot of reasons to, to be worried about him this season. I agree. So that's going to do it for this AFC East edition of the Projections Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see exactly what numbers we landed on for all the guys we mentioned here and hundreds more players. Build your own MVP board. See how we recommend treating them in your specific league. We'll be back here next week to hit another division, and we'll be working behind the scenes on hundreds of player profiles. They'll be on DraftSharks.com soon as well. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShafDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us.